Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, your creator and host. Not your creator and host, but the creator and host of The Last Symptom. So happy to have you back here with me again this week. Maybe you're here for the very first time, and if that's true, a big welcome to you. I'm very happy to have you with me. Of course, just a real quick brief rundown on my story is that I had borderline personality disorder completely unaware for the first 35 years of my life, and now I don't. How did I get there from there to here? Well, that's what uh, the last symptom work is all about. It's all about helping people authentically rid themselves of their own emotional disorders might be borderline personality disorder might be something else but that's what we're here for last week was quite a heavy topic we talked about suicide and uh, in fact I warned a lot of people uh, that the time if the timing wasn't right for that discussion for you personally not to listen to the show uh, go take care of that first and those sorts of ideations and then come back and listen to the show when you're more ready. So what I thought I would do this week is maybe talk about some lighter things. So with that in mind, what sorts of things are we going to talk about this week? Well, let me give you a quick review of the topics we're going to talk about. It's going to be kind of a smorgasbord or a, a potpourri of different topics. I'm going to tell you about a man who collected a single brick in his lunchbox for years. Uh, we're going to talk about trust. I'm going to share a quote with you by Isaac Asimov that is uh, useful for us, I reckon, as far as being people who are trying to to stop the inertia of our own, the direction of our own lives in a certain sense, you know. And anyway, I thought you'd find it interesting. I'm going to talk about uh, some students in my daughter's class that I have noticed and kind of analyze them. I want to share a really nice message I got from somebody this week and I want to talk to you about false dilemmas. Have you ever heard of that term? Do you know what a false dilemma is? Well, we'll talk about that. Have you ever heard of the term geodesics? Do you know what geodesics are? Well, it's interesting just it was something that I thought I might share with you because I found it interesting let's see what else uh, we'll talk about getting to know yourself for real and we'll use water as a good example for this how much do you know about water you know water is a something that it's in your you know 
what what have you consumed more than you than water nothing so we might assume that we know water pretty well but uh, do you we'll find out I want to share a quote with you from the movie that I just saw recently with Nicolas Cage called Pig what a great movie that was I, I personally thought it was a really great movie do you remember old Sam at the worked in the cemetery and I've talked about him in the past he always uh, come into the monument company there where I worked with his beer drinking glove that's what he called it his beer drinking glove and it was just this glove that he would always carry around at, uh, so that he could hold his beer without getting his hand cold if people were like the weather why should we be concerned if others uh, think they're happy but they're not happy or why would she, why should we observe other people or make comparisons at all and contrasts at all uh, is it any of our business does it matter well, we'll talk about that I'm going to tell you a story about Arizona and horses a true story that happened to me we're going to talk about ultimatums versus boundaries we're going to talk about perceived confirmations that are not really confirmations of anything and finally I have a campfire story for you and all today and it's a it's a true story it's the time that I experienced an honest to God lucid dream not kind of a lucid dream but an actual honest to God totally lucid dream and I'm going to share that the details of that with you for uh, to close out the show so before we get into everything let me give you the announcements first of all I need to tell you about thelastsymptom.com thelastsymptom.com that's my website full of free resources I hope you'll take advantage of there are also some paid services there for example you can schedule for my time uh, to have one-on-one phone conversations with me or one-on-one zoom uh, video conversations with me and probably most importantly there's the uh, the last symptom fundamentals course it's a two-week intensive course now I can understand a person being nervous about you know enrolling in something they don't really know what it's all about and all that stuff but let me assure you it's no different than signing up for like a an online pre-recorded college course you know you're going to have a professor there talking sharing images to drive his points home notes you know he might be using a whiteboard or something like that well that's what uh, the last symptom fundamentals course is except for instead of having a highfalutin college professor you're going to have me there uh, presenting the whole thing and, and basically I, I go through everything you could possibly need to know to set down your own foundation of accurate solid insights so that you can continue to build upon that and authentically recover from borderline personality disorder or some other emotional disorder for yourself the program is also very nice as well for those who might not have an emotional disorder but know somebody who does if you'd like to understand thoroughly what it is they're dealing with why they behave the way they do the why they um, uh, their emotions are the way they are and things like that then the course would be just as useful for you as well 
Now, on to today's discussion. I heard about this, I don't know, um, maybe 20 years ago. But it was a story somebody told about a man who worked near a brickyard. You know, so where they would make bricks. And the brickyard was closed off by a fence. He had one of those old metal tin lunch boxes, you know, like the old timers used to use. Kind of like oval on top, you know the ones I'm talking about. And uh, so every day when he would get out of work, he would have to walk by this brickyard. And he realized that every day that he was walking past this fence of this brickyard uh, that over the course of the day several bricks that were being unloaded or I don't know what would fall over the fence that that end up on the other side of the fence so he got the notion every day to just pick up one of those bricks on his way home and he would store that in his empty lunchbox and walk home with that brick. If memory serves me right, when I heard about this, um, it was presented as an honest-to-God true story. So I'm, I'm assuming that it was a true story. And before I did the, sh- you know, started the show today or anything like that, I didn't. Uh, do any research online to see if I could find a true example of this but I just wanted to keep it pure from my memory you know when I heard this this told to me so the guy did this for like 20 years um, or something like that every day he'd come home and he would it would just become a routine for him he would pick up one brick put it in his lunchbox carry that home And do you know that when he retired, he had one of the the nicest uh, brick homes built uh, than anybody in in the entire area or neighborhood. And he had to pay nothing, nothing for the bricks. You know, so basically, except for labor and stuff like that, uh, maybe other materials that he needed to buy basically uh, because of his insight and willingness to just collect one brick every day for 20 years or something like that uh, he was able to build a a brick home and pay absolutely nothing for the bricks so it was almost like getting a, a brick a big beautiful brick home for free what this makes me think about are you folks who are worried about experiencing authentic recovery from some emotional disorder overnight? You know, that's not reasonable. It's not, uh, it, it just ain't a reasonable expectation. It took me seven years, as I've told you many, many times. And I like to think of myself as that guy just collecting one brick every afternoon on my way home from work. That is kind of the nature of it. And you know, I've told you in the past that the, the years are going to go by anyway. 
So there's no sense in getting discouraged by the amount of time it might take you. It might take you, you know, hopefully it'll take you a lot less than it took me. That's the whole reason I do this work is to try to cut down on the time that you have to spend. But if it doesn't happen as soon as you'd like it to, there's no reason to get discouraged. You got to think of yourself as that man, uh, patiently, wisely, collecting a brick and putting it in his lunchbox every day. The time is going to go by. These things accumulate and add up. Uh, the important thing is that you are picking up that brick every single day, patiently and you know with endurance. And uh, in the end, it's going to pay off for you. You know, you have to consider too that. Picking up one brick is a very manageable thing to do. Just one brick a day. I mean, you're walking by there anyway. <laughs> you're carrying an empty lunchbox in your hand anyway, right? So it's not like this guy had to kill himself to, to accomplish such an, an impressive thing. He just did a little bit each day. That, that accumulated over time. And think about how proud he was. Uh, to finally build that house when the time was right. So I hope that's you find that encouraging and that you find some parallels that you can apply that to in your own life. Let me ask you, what do you think about somebody, somebody who excessively tells you how trustworthy they are even when you haven't asked? Do you find that a little suspicious? Somebody who feels compelled to tell you time and again that they are trustworthy. You can trust them. I promise. You can trust me. I don't lie. I don't lie to people. I promise I don't. And you haven't even asked. You ever find that suspicious? You know, you don't have to convince people of anything that ain't even in question to begin with. That's the thing. You know, it's like, look, I swear, I swear to you, to all you listening to me right now, I swear you have to believe me that I have five fingers on my hand. I swear I do. Please believe me. Why would I be compelled to do this if I just know it's that it's true? <laughs> if it's not in question, right? If it's not in question, then why would I be compelled at all to feel the need to try to convince you of that. I wouldn't. Now contrast this with uh, you looking in the fridge at work and saying, hey, uh, I can't find my sandwich that I put in here. Now imagine me going, hey, hey, I didn't I didn't eat your sandwich. I swear I didn't. You can believe, listen, lots of other people might have eaten your sandwich, but it wasn't me. I swear to God it wasn't. I swear, I swear on Granny's grave, I did not eat your sandwich. You've got to believe me. Wouldn't you find that kind of curious? If I didn't steal your sandwich, then what? why am I acting as if I did? So, it kind of reminds me, I've noticed here lately, all the news organizations. Have you guys noticed this? What is all their advertising built around right now? Every one of their ads built around them telling you just how trustworthy they are in every single ad. If it's a news channel or if it's a newspaper or anything like that, 
the advertising is all built around just how trustworthy they are. Oh, they're so trustworthy. They're the most trustworthy. Their whole mission statement is all built around being trustworthy and all this stuff. Would they need to do that if their trust was not in question to begin with? I mean, if you're trustworthy, you don't really feel the compulsion to go around telling everybody how trustworthy you are, do you? And here's the interesting thing to me. You know, it's like buying a, it's like you having a stinker of a house that you want to put up for sale. The house has all kinds of problems. It's dirty, it's ugly, it's, it's just a nasty house. You could spend your time and attention making improvements to that house so that then when you take pictures of it the pictures show what a beautiful house it is for real but the news organizations right now seem to me like somebody who has a big stinker of a house that they want to put up for sale but instead of spending their time and attention on just honestly improving the house so that the pictures they take of it then reflect that it, it is a pretty house. Instead of doing that, it'd be like you spending $10,000 for a photographer who can just make the house look like it ain't a stinker of a house. Have you folks noticed that too? Because these news organizations, after telling you how much you can trust them in every single ad, you tune into them and within five minutes you see that they're not trustworthy at all so they're like that stinker of a house that's just had nice pictures taken of it that they're more interested in making you believe they're trustworthy than just being trustworthy which seems to me like would be much more effective and easier to be honest with you all right here's a quote from uh, the book foundation by isaac asimov now i know that apple tv has licensed this and has made a a series based on Foundation by Isaac Asimov, who's one of the greatest books ever written. And they just botched the whole thing. They just it's terrible. They completely <laughs> they took this work. I mean, this genius work of masterful writing and storytelling, and this masterful premise, and they just totally have ruined it down to like a pop song yeah like a Justin Bieber pop song that's what they've done to it so that's kind of distressing to me but it goes with the territory you know I, there was nobody who was more excited for um, the movie I Am Legend to come out because that book is one of my favorite books of all time I'm telling you it's probably in the top three of my favorite books of all time and one thing I remember about that it's the only book ever that I've ever read and I read it while I was still married to my ex-wife Diana she went to bed a lot earlier than I, I ever did and she wanted me in bed with her you know even if we were just going to be sleeping but I, I would stay up and read and so I remember I, I was staying up and reading I Am Legend by Richard Matheson so I was reading that book in bed with her I had no idea what it was about when I started reading it can't remember why I started reading it, but somehow it got my attention. And I started reading that book, and there was a section in the book where these vampires come out, 
uh, from under the houses and everything um, the protagonist he's been going out to a cemetery and he has ended up falling asleep at the cemetery I think or the library or something like that he always tries to get home in time before it gets dark before the sun drops because that's when these creatures come out and on this in this particular part of the book he has gone out and he's far from home and he ends up falling asleep is that right no maybe I'm that maybe that's not right but I do remember that time gets away from him um, and he keeps checking his watch to make sure that he's got still got plenty of time and he realizes at some point during this part of the book that his his watch has stopped and it's much later than he thought it was and just the way Richard Matheson set this up in the book was it was masterful so the protagonist he jumps in this uh, I think it's a station wagon he's driving around and he is racing back home to get to try to get indoors where he'll be safe before these things start waking up and coming out and the sun drops and he gets onto his street and they're already like rushing out from all sides and he's trying to get into his house and I, I mean I just remember <laughs> uh, sweating bullets wondering how in the world is is the protagonist going to get into his house safe with this going on and it, I mean, it was just so intense I mean I was gripping the book like crazy and my heart was pounding and it was just like I was there it was like I was right there experiencing this this terror and it was better than any movie so anyway when they made uh, I Am Legend into <clears throat> that movie has been made three times by the way it was made with Vincent Price it was made with Charlton Heston and then finally it was made with uh, Will Smith a few years ago I was so looking forward to it and my goodness they ruined they ruined the source material the whole reason that the book is called I Am Legend t totally ignored, totally ruined it I, they just it was like they took a masterful work of art and just turned it into a bubblegum pop crap so it was, that was you know, same way with this uh, Foundation by Isaac Asimov they totally missed the mark totally leaving out what makes Foundation such an incredible master work um, but anyway I wanted to share this quote from you, for you from the book it goes like this let me kind of set up the story in Foundation this um, genius mathematician figures out by studying what they call psycho um, mathematics or psycho history or something like that studying and eliminating all the all possibilities and um, leaving only the possibilities that, that can can exist uh, determines exactly what the future holds for this galactic empire and so he's able to foretell thousands and thousands and thousands of years in the future exactly how things are going to play out and uh, so there's a point in the book where they're t uh, he's talking to somebody else and they're asking him if, if these eventualities can be uh, prevented and he says this 
the psychohistoric trend of a planet full of people contains a huge inertia. And I just love that word, inertia. Think about it. The trend, the psycho or the psychological trend of a planet full of people contains a huge inertia to be changed it must be met with something possessing a similar inertia either as many people must be concerned or if the number of people be relatively small enormous time for change must be allowed that's a quote from foundation by Isaac Asimov now here's what that made me think made me think of people who reach out to me and talk about changing the world and preventing people from developing borderline personality disorder and these sorts of things at all we're talking about enormous inertia Uh, you know society and these things get passed down through generations and generations and generations there's a certain inertia that that guarantees that these things will continue happening children will be continue being raised this way uh, people continue suffering from borderline personality disorder and from other emotional disorders it, because of this huge inor- inertia that's just the direction psychologically that the world has been going in for, for a long long time and like Isaac Gosmoff says here To be changed, it has to be met with something possessing a similar inertia. Either as many people must be concerned, or if the number of people be relatively small, enormous time for change must be allowed. And as a a God-fearing person, I just think that uh, the only real change, that, that equal inertia that will have to bring about that type of a change, it will have to be it'll have to originate from the only person who has that type of, of power my daughter's on an online school on the internet and the reason she is this year and not in a public school is not due to COVID or anything like that it's due to uh, her uh, being bilingual not wanting her to uh, her Spanish skills to weaken or anything like that. So she's in a Spanish English bilingual school <clears throat> online. And um, I've every once in a while I'll sit around her when she's in the school. And because it's online, you know, she can do school anywhere where anywhere she can plug in a computer. And one thing I noticed that, that similar to last year is it seems like. So last year she was in kindergarten, and this year she's in first grade. It seems like there's always one or two kids, one or two students in the class who, on the very first day of school, when teacher hops on there, you hear the student saying, I love you, teacher. I love you so much. Teacher, teacher, I love you. You know, they ain't known the teacher but for an hour. And this is the type of things they're expressing to a complete stranger. 
literally begging for the teacher to say it back to them. That's why they're saying it. I love you, teacher. I love you so much. What they're really fishing for is for the teacher to say, okay, I love you too. And like I say, this is something I observed not just this year, but last year. There's always that one student, maybe two students in the class does this. And it breaks my heart, you know, because it's so out of place. And it's not a desperation reflected by most of the other children. On the surface, I think most people who are not as focused on these types of things as I am might look at that and see something normal and sweet. That's just a normal child behavior. But I don't think I don't see anything sweet about it. What I see instead is I see an insecure child who is starving for the security of being seen and of being seen as lovable. You know, they're begging for that sense of security and assurance that they are lovable. And you have to ask yourself where this begging and insecurity and uncertainty about their lovableness is being born from in the first place. Well, clearly they are not getting the sense of security and assurance from their parents at home. That's the sad thing about it. And most of you and I know what this means is uh, really waiting for them down the road you know as far as long-term emotional issues go and how this means that uh, their lives are likely to be for many decades into the future probably all the way up into adulthood and beyond if they don't find the motivation to ch- to uh, investigate that and change it so anyway I just thought I'd share that with you that's a, an observation I've made this year that's kind of breaks my heart think about this a child who is secure in the fact that they are lovable because their home life provides them with that assurance they don't go on to beg people to um, extend them some kind of assurance that they're lovable out you know in school and stuff like that these are, these are kids in the first grade meeting this this person for the first time in their life and what the very first thing they say I love you teacher I love you I love you so much just basically you know the message there is please teacher say that you love me too say that you love me please teacher say that you love me that's what that is here's a message I got this week hello Brian Hope you're having a great Monday. I had a really great revelation last night that I wanted to share with you. Ever since I had my son, I felt really disconnected with him. Uh, I never felt that I could love him or that I was capable of doing so. I know that sounds horrible. And, you know, I want to stop right here and say that just admitting that is... uh, evidence of great progress that a person would even admit something 
that they think is so terrible that probably for years they've been denying it all. No, I don't, I don't feel that way. I don't feel that way. You can't fix what you won't accept is a reality or is that is there. You know, you can't fix it. You can't address it, can't analyze it, can't fix it. So the fact that this person has taken something that could potentially be so shameful to the person that they would never admit it to another person, the fact that they're just willing to speak about it honestly, huge, huge positive thing. So the person says, I know that sounds horrible, but I could never figure out why I felt that way. I always thought there was something terribly wrong with me, and I was truly ashamed with it. I thought it was postpartum until last night. I realized that because I could not love myself, I couldn't genuinely love my son. There was a part of me that felt like I hated him. I think it was because I saw so much of me in him. As I've been learning from your podcast and the fundamentals course, It has really changed my perspective about everything. The shame I used to feel is dissipating as my behavior is changing toward him. And every day, I feel a little closer to him. Last night, I was admiring him while he was sleeping and thinking about how lucky I am to have him. I never thought I would be able to feel that way. I feel like I'm on the way to giving him the love that he has always deserved. I know I'm not finished. Uh, I haven't finished my journey yet, but I am beyond amazed by my progress that I have gotten with the right information and direction. I know I sound like a broken record, but thank you. You've changed my life in such a way that I have a hard time putting into words how grateful I am. Well, I know that feeling because... um, I felt pretty grateful once I stumbled onto some real insights and things that begin to really um, give me direction too, as far as authentically ridding myself of the of the of the root causes of these things. So uh, I appreciate that, but really, you know, the person who wrote this—that's the person doing the work—and um, that person should be very, very proud of herself so it's true that our capacity our capacity to experience real love and compassion towards anybody else is directly proportional to how well we experience love and compassion toward our own selves that that might be worth writing down our capacity to experience real love and compassion toward anybody else is directly proportional to how well we experience love and compassion toward ourselves. So it's no small thing, learning to love ourselves. False dilemma. You ever heard the word? Sometimes it's referred to as a false dichotomy. What is it? Well, it's a, it's a fallacy. It's a logical fallacy that erroneously limits what options are available I'll give you an example it'd be like me saying well this car 
won't go over 50 miles an hour. Since it won't go over 50 miles an hour, this can only be because the people who made the car don't know how to make a car go over 50 miles an hour or because there's too much wind coming in the opposite direction. That's the only, it can only be one thing or the other. Well, the reason why it's a false dilemma is because it, it completely fails to consider other equally uh, probable possibilities. For example, another possibility that car won't go over 50 miles an hour is that you're not pushing down on the, the uh, gas enough, right? That's another possibility. But what the person has done is, is that they have uh, closed themselves in a box rationally and said these are the only two possibilities that exist it's either got to be one or the other and by doing this you do you see how they won't even they're they've closed themselves off from even allowing their mind to explore additional explanations for why that car might not go over 50 miles per hour and so they're very you know it's it's a very narrow way of looking at a problem very illogical so here's what uh, so just some of the things that Wikipedia has to say about this uh, it is it, based on a premise that erroneously limits what options are available so it creates a false premise altogether the whole premise of the thing is false it asserts that one among a number of alternatives must be true this is problematic because it oversimplifies the choice by excluding other viable alternatives. For example, a false dilemma is committed when it is claimed that Stacy spoke out against capitalism, therefore she must be a communist. One of the options excluded is that Stacy might neither be a communist nor a capitalist. Yeah, there are other there are other possibilities. <clears throat> false dilemmas often have the form of treating two contraries, which may both be false, as contradictories, of which one is necessarily true, from the person creating the false dilemma. That is. So this made me re uh, think about Neil deGrasse Tyson. <clears throat> I think uh, in an episode not too long back. I said that uh, I wasn't a big fan of his, but he kind of won me over because I, I realized that he's a person that it, he's at least open to considering some things that I didn't think he'd be open to considering before. But when he was asked about um, whether or not he believes in God, he said this, and see if you can catch the false dilemma reasoning that this this supposedly brilliant man has locked himself into so what he says is that uh, from what he understands about God God is all powerful and he's all good now that's not the false dilemma but DeGrasse Tyson then mentions some large scale tragedies that have happened to religious people so he goes back in history he says these were people who claimed to be very religious and these 
uh, awful tragedies happen to, to them. This is when he commits the false dilemma. He says, the only thing this can mean is that God is either not all-powerful or he's not all-good. That's the false dilemma. Tyson has created only two possibilities here, so he's locked his brain into that. Now, because his brain is locked onto that, he's not even willing to consider that there might be other explanations for it. But he locks himself onto that. God is either not all-powerful because these tragedies have happened, or he's not all good because these tragedies have happened. Therefore, there's no God. But is this really the only thing? Are these really the only two explanations for why bad things happen to good people? Is there really no other explanation that that anybody can come up with? Well, I know why good things happen I know why bad things happen to good people. Um, and I'm not going to get into it here today because I don't want to be a, you know, I don't want to turn this into a religious talk. But um, let me give you an example just to kind of roughly illustrate the thing. Think about a teacher or a parent. You know, personally, I can talk about this as a father, and I can talk about it as a teacher. Are there no other explanations for uh, for me sitting back and allowing things to happen with my daughter, for example, or allowing a student, for example, to uh, explore something, explore a, a line of reasoning that I, I absolutely know is, is off the mark, it's totally false, uh, but is there any reasonable explanation for why I might allow something like that to go on? as a parent is there any reasonable explanation for why my daughter might come to me and say daddy I want to do something this way and I say well honey that's not the way to do it and she says no no I I want to do it that way I, I know it I know it's the right way to do it is there any explanation you can think of for why I might say alright do it that way even if I know she's going to skin her knee or uh, bump bump herself or you know that the result is not going to turn out well are the are the only two explanations for why I would sit back and allow that to go ahead and play itself out are the only two explanations that I can't stop her from doing it and that if I can stop her but I don't <laughs> I'm not good those clearly are not the only two explanations for why a teacher or a wiser person might sit back and allow a thing to play out especially especially if that person in authority or the person in power knows that they have the power to completely reverse anything that might result because of allowing this thing to play out if I know that I have the power to allow this thing to play out and then whatever results from it, I can reverse it. I can make everything okay. Then I might do that. It's a good way to let people learn for themselves, isn't it? It's a good way to uh, 
allow my daughter to experience something and come to some conclusions for herself about the ultimate uh, best way to do that and you know maybe later then she will uh, when she says no daddy I know how to do it better than you maybe she'll rethink that won't she maybe she'll say well that didn't work out too good last time I'm going to trust that daddy knows what's best for me so false dilemmas something interesting to think about Neil deGrasse Tyson one of the smartest people uh, celebrated people in media is not immune to committing a false dilemma he did it right here when he was talking about God bad things happen to good people and the only thing that can mean is that God's either not all powerful or he's not all good totally fails to consider any other explanations or uh, reasonable explanations for why God could be can be all powerful he can be all good and might still allow certain things to happen alright moving on geodesics I promised we'd talk about that do you know what that is that is straight paths on a curved surface so think about if you're flying through the sky on earth are you flying in a directly straight line no because if you did you would end up in outer space so geodesics straight pass on a curved surface is like the lines drawn on a globe and when a plane flies around the earth even if it's flying perfectly straight on that globe it's actually flying in a curve isn't it because it's following the curvature of the earth now here's what I found interesting I don't remember where I got this I think it was from some YouTube channel it says matter tells space-time how to curve think about that matter this pencil tells space-time how to curve and space-time tells matter how to move matter sp tells space-time how to curve and space-time tells matter how to move um, another interesting thing about this which I, I wish I could remember where I got this but gravitational fields you ever hear that term gravitational fields doesn't exist there's no such thing as a gravitational field there's only acceleration or falling me sitting here recording this episode of Last Symptom Podcast right now I am falling what's stopping me the ground is stopping me that's what gravity is my body is trying to fall the chair and the ground is stopping me from falling um, in curved space-time try to wrap your brain around this you have to accelerate just to stand still so me sitting here right now recording this show which I think of as sitting still um, I'm, I'm still accelerating. I'm accelerating just to be able to sit here and do this. All right. Let's talk about getting to know yourself. You know, this uh, comes from thinking that we know a thing well, but then realizing that uh, we're really strangers to the thing more than we think until we begin to examine and, and learn more about it. 
I've said in the past that therapy is uh, learning intimacy. Excuse me, I got the burps. <clears throat> intimacy is learning uh, intimacy or uh, therapy is learning intimacy with oneself. So I remember when I started going through my own authentic recovery. People would say, you know, you got to learn about yourself. You got to learn. You got to get to know yourself. You've never gotten to know yourself in a real way. And I thought that's absurd. I'm me. I am me. Who knows me better than I know me? But here's the thing. I didn't really know me. I thought I knew me. But thinking I know myself and really knowing myself, two different things. So when I, you know, the whole process, that whole seven years of authentically recovering from borderline personality disorder was a great big marathon of getting to know myself for real. Not who I think I am but who I am for real, getting to really know myself. You know, it means digging below the surface and understanding yourself better than anybody else does or ever has. So, till now, you know, maybe you've believed that you do know yourself because you're you. But there are many things you only know about yourself superficially that is on the surface or inaccurately. There's things you know. There's things you probably think you know about yourself. You don't really know those things because you never have stopped to understand where that comes from. Like, why do you do the things that you do, or why do you feel the way you do about that certain thing? Um, and that made me think uh, about water. How, you know, there's nothing that you have consumed more in your entire life than water and yet how well do you really know water so one thing I kinda like to do is from time to time I will take just the most common thing that I can think of and I will research it to see how much I really know that thing and I'm never I never cease to be surprised with the things I come up with the information and the, the insights that I gain from just deciding to look up some totally normal thing that is featured in every day of my every life and uh, seeing what I can find about it so water what do you know about it well here's some interesting things it's the only common substance to exist as a solid liquid and gas in normal terrestrial conditions did you know that it's the only common substance that surrounds you that in, in just natural in natural conditions can exist as all of those things a solid liquid and a gas in a lake or an ocean water at uh, 4 degrees Celsius that is 39 degrees point, 39.2 degrees Fahrenheit sinks to the bottom now why is that important Think about a lake or an ocean. Temperature drops down to 39.2 degrees Fahrenheit or 4 degrees Celsius. Now that water, that, that water that has reached that temperature, sinks down to the bottom of the body of water. And what happens after that? Ice forms on the surface of, of that body of water. And the ice floats on 
the liquid water. The ice insulates the water below, preventing it from freezing solid. So the water that has sank now is insulated by the ice on top. It won't freeze. Why is that important? It's important because without, if that weren't to happen, most everything that lives in water would perish during the winter. Did you know that? Did you know that uh, freezing bodies of water behave that way? In order to preserve alive the life within them. Do you know what the boiling point of water is at sea level? Did you know that it's different at sea level than if you're up on a mountain? At sea level, the boiling point of water is 212 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 100 degrees Celsius. But as atmosphere, atmospheric pressure decreases with altitude, so let's say you're a backpacker like me, you're carrying your water with you, and you've just climbed a mountain, so now you're up at a high altitude. The boiling point decreases by 1 degree Celsius every 274 meters. In other words, high altitude cooking, if you're up on a mountain trying to cook your meal that night, it takes longer than sea level cooking. For example, at 5,000 feet or 1,524 meters, cooking time must be increased by a fourth to achieve the, the same desired result. Isn't that interesting? Do you know what happens with water at, in a vacuum? In a vacuum, water will boil at room temperature. So some interesting things there about water. I saw a real good movie here re recently called uh, Pig, P-I-G, and it starred Nicolas Cage. I think he's doing some really interesting projects lately. He's kind of reinvented himself from the 90s. So it's a quote. It's a uh, it's a movie about you know, elegant cooking, um, chefs, and you know really high scale uh, cooking and that sort of thing. And at one point, Nicholas Cage's character is talking to this guy who uh, was a student of his at one at one point, and the guy did not go into the line of work that Nicholas Cage knew that was his real passion. Instead, he was he had opened up this restaurant and was, um, you know, trying to win over critics and stuff like that. And uh, Nicholas Cage had this to say. Nicholas Cage's character, I should say, had this to say. And I thought it was. I think it's important to think about you, uh, who listen to this show for reasons related to emotional health. Nicholas Cage says to the uh, Nicholas Cage's character says to the other character they're not real you get that right none of it is real the critics aren't real the customers aren't real because this isn't real you aren't real Derek, why do you care about these people? They don't care about you. None of them. They don't even know you. 
because you haven't shown them. Every day you will wake up and there will be less of you. You live your life for them and they don't even see you. You don't even see yourself. Isn't that really a, a recurring theme here on the last symptom? It's talking about how It's a moving away from placing unhealthy value on external things instead of valuing inner things, right? Um, You know, the idea here is that this chef, nobody knows who he is. Um, If they like him, uh, they're not liking him. They're, they're instead liking this this totally false um, impression that he is trying to uh, weave of himself, right? And so, therefore, it's worthless. <laughs> Any uh, accolades or anything like that, totally worthless because it's all based on a lie. They're not seeing him. He's not seeing him. He hasn't shown them him. And every day he wakes up, there's less of him. Living life for a totally pointless and um, valueless uh, purpose and motivation. Sam Schumard was the name of the guy who had the beer drinking glove that I always tell you about. He'd come into the monument company and just tell stories, and my goodness, crack me up. One more story I'll tell you about Sam. Um... Sam Schumard come in with his beer drinking glove he told me a story of being on a boat he was probably close to 70 years old at this time and um, I said that uh, another boat passed and had these young hotties on there he said and uh, they said hey and they're yelling at him and everything he said oh, hi he'd probably stand on that boat with his beer drinking glove <laughs> and uh, he talked about how they flashed their boobs at him and I never saw an old man <clears throat> smile so big when he told that story. I thought, man, what a lucky guy. But uh, Sam Schumard, guy with the beer drinking glove, talking to my next door neighbor here uh, last couple weeks. And I, I started telling stories about old Sam. And I said, well, you probably know him. And he said, I, I sure do, Sam Schumard. He said he just died three weeks ago. So the irony of that, that, um, you know, I was going for so long and here I just have thought so uh, good of Sam over the years. Me getting into a conversation with my neighbor and he said, yes, Sam just died just three weeks ago. Like I say, uh, back in, man, 97, 96? I think Sam was already pushing 70. So he must have been really up there when he died, if he just died just three weeks ago. But my neighbor did know him, was able to tell me some details about that, and that that was nice. I kind of wish that uh, I had known that Sam was still alive. I would have gone and seen him. Now, here's a good question I got not too long ago. Somebody said, if... If people are like the weather, 
why should we be concerned if others think they're happy but they're not this was based on a uh, an orange slash video these um, brief video insight episodes that I do where I had talked about people thinking they're happy but they're not so the person said what you know why what is that of any concern to me why should I even be observing that or or thinking about that and the person said isn't our recovery dependent on our own belief and inherent worth she says why is other people's happiness or their incorrect perspective of their own happiness any of our concern so I I really appreciated that feedback I really appreciated getting an opportunity to uh, address that uh, question now here's the thing it's true that people are the weather to us it's also true that worrying about how other people live their lives isn't constructive so I don't look at it like my neighbor or my brother my parents I don't look at anybody and worry about how they're living their lives I look at it non-judgmentally just like well that's that's the way they're living their life okay I respect that it's a total waste of energy and attention to be worrying about how other people are living their lives but that's only true in the sense of involving ourselves with what is not ours to involve ourselves with there are two ways to observe a thing I don't know if you knew that or not but there are two ways to observe a thing one is judgmentally now here's the interesting thing about people who observe judgmentally do you know why they observe judgmentally they do so because it's a way to avoid looking inward think about that observing judgmentally observing other people and their lives and their choices judgmentally is a way to avoid looking inward that's why there's so many hypocrites you know especially like religious folks you know there's so uh, tendency there to be so judgmental about how other people are living then it's no surprise is it when later it turns out that they're the the dirty cheating skunk or they're the person who's cheating on their income tax or they're the person who um, is molesting children or they're the person who uh, is doing whatever you know who lied or stole or did whatever because people who observe judgmentally do this as a way to avoid looking inward honestly with the interest of correcting whatever's there the second way to observe a thing is non-judgmentally and this type of observing is to look is to take what we see and what we observe and then take that and use it to look inward and understand ourselves as human beings better so the example I told on this orange slice was that in Arizona uh, when I went into my own intensive 
program, not my intensive program, but the an intensive program there. Uh, they sent me out to this farm, and <clears throat> there were these other people there uh, and horses, and they got us all out there with the horses. And they said, well, what we would like you to do is we would like you to round up these horses and get them into their uh, stalls there. She says, what I want you to do is I want you all to work uh, together to do this and and get these horses into their stall. So I just sat back for a second. I just watched these other fellas, uh, guys and girls, both there, different ages, different cultures, different races different cultures but uh i watched them working together to try to get round up these horses and now i had i had some experience growing up with horses but i can't say that i was you know i'm a horse whisperer or anything like that but what i did was i just watched them and after a while it occurred to me i started thinking what they're doing by going up to the horses and stuff like this is just pushing them away the horses just want to get away and I thought to myself, but what would you do if you were going to feed these horses? Well, they would probably know um, just by opening the gate that it was feeding time to these stalls. So I looked over, and sure enough, all the, all the gates were closed. So mind you I was not participating with the, with the group of people the other people who were there I was just observing them and trying to figure out what they were doing wrong why it wasn't working for them so I went over popped the latch off the gate pulled the door swung the door wide open and would you believe that those horses dropped everything every one of them and come over and they corralled themselves in that in that stall the therapist the horse therapist as she was called um, was kind of gobsmacked and she's just like how did you know to do that you must have grown up around horses it wasn't that I did grow up around horses but I didn't grow I did even though I did I didn't know horses all that well now here's the thing about that I was observing the other people but was I observing them judgmentally? Was I standing there going, man, these bunch of idiots, look how stupid they are. Walk around doing a, doing this completely pointless exercise. and No, I, there was no judgment at all. I wasn't observing them to pass judgment on them. Instead, I was studying, observing, and learning. So getting healthy and staying healthy requires understanding not only yourself, but people in general you know if you and I were fish well then our lives would benefit from observing and understanding the nature of fish and fish psychology but we ain't fish we're people so to understand the nature of people better which is what we are we're people so understanding the nature of people and people psychology in general helps us understand ourselves better to identify and correct things about ourselves that we recognize in other people or to recognize and completely avoid aspects of behavior and thinking that we recognize in other people. So it's non-judgmental. 
as far as whether people are happy or they just think they're happy not being a concern of yours well it you're right that it's no concern of yours in the sense that you can't live their lives for them and you you shouldn't even be trying but it is a concern of yours in that whatever unhealthy behaviors and thinking we observe in others is educational and it gives us the opportunity to analyze ourselves to identify and correct similar patterns with ourselves or to avoid adopting those things altogether automatum versus boundaries what's the purpose of an automatum the purpose of an automatum is to provoke an action from the other party so in other words it's like if you don't do this then I'm going to do this or it could be if you dare do this then 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 this is what I'm going to do as a direct response so you got that that's an automatum now what's the purpose of boundaries the purpose of boundaries is not what we just described the purpose of boundaries is to leave other people's decisions entirely up to them but to make decisions for ourselves so it's sort of like this a, a boundary is like this this is what I'm going to make my life like no matter what you do so here's the image in my head of what I want my life to be my life to be like that's I'm going to make it happen no matter what you do but it's up to you whether or not you will harmonize with and complement that vision if you don't do what's necessary to harmonize and complement that vision of what I'm going to do no matter what then you won't be allowed in because my life can't be the way I want it to be if I'm just allowing just any old sort of element or influence in so do you see the difference boundaries are is not an ultimatum an ultimatum is if you do this then I will do this uh, to punish you for for what you did or if you don't do this then I'm gonna do this so if you don't take my card get the oil changed then I'm gonna set fire to all the underwear in your underwear drawer that's an ultimatum boundaries is not an ultimatum boundaries is you know what I'm analyzing my life and here's what I've decided it needs to be like and because it's my life I can make any decision I want about it so here's what I have decided my life is going to look like it is going to look like that I don't care if you what you do you can walk on your hands juggle balls around the house I you know, uh, cut off all your hair I don't care what you do but if if you don't fit if what you do the decisions you make for yourself don't contribute to what I'm going to make my life look like you won't be allowed in that is boundaries confirmations a lot of times when we're unhealthy we look at our lives and we see confirmations all over the place just about how crappy we are and stuff like that but then when you start going through recovery you start to realize that all these confirmations weren't real confirmations at all you were just interpreting 
them that way. You are interpreting them through that lens. So if I think I'm a terrible person, I really believe that about myself. Um, and a child walks up to me in the park and says, You're ugly, mister. I go, Well, there you go. Of course I'm ugly. And I'm terrible. Because, and this child walking up to me out of the blue and saying that is just confirmation of it. But is it confirmation of that? No. It's, it's confirmation that child is a little punk <laughs> but it ain't a confirmation of anything involving you do you know why I get so angry every time I call customer service for anything when I'm getting on the phone to call customer service I ain't angry because of anything they've said to me because they haven't had time to say anything to me yet the reason I'm angry when I start a call with customer service is because my perspective or attitude going into the process is that I already know that they're going to be unhelpful idiots so I'm making the phone call with that as my working premise before the phone rep and I have ever even traded a single word does this affect my tone a voice and approach it sure does does this put the phone rep on the defense immediately it sure does does it usually result in a combative phone call with the phone rep being an unhelpful idiot it sure does so is my perspective and attitude creating a self-fulfilling prophecy before I've ever dialed them up on my phone I would say 99.999% of the time, probably yes. But when the phone rep is an unhealthful idiot, this enrages me even more. Why? Because what made me loathe making that phone call in the first place has now actually played out. But what happens when I check myself before making the call and I say to myself, Brian, you have never talked to this person before in your life. This is a blank slate. So you can't go at them as if you already know them. You gotta allow for them to prove for themselves if they are unhelpful idiots or not. You know, on the merits of this phone call, stand alone. Your previous experiences has no defining power over this particular experience whatsoever. The two aren't related. Well, usually what happens is that the phone rep ends up being extremely pleasant and overwhelmingly helpful. It takes a lot of work to question our perspectives, to keep them in check, and do some experiments to see if we aren't interpreting things completely inaccurately and therefore not getting the actual results we believe we're getting at all. So the confirmations in your life have almost certainly only been confirmations because of an incorrect interpretation and expectation going in to each experience so 
it's useful to revisit those confirmations. Imagine how you might have interpreted them differently and more positively if instead of believing you're devoid of worth, of inherent worth, that is, instead of believing you're a piece of dung, you instead had approached those experiences with the certainty that you are not a piece of dung, that your worth is an inherent part of being you, and that anything or anybody who suggests otherwise is reflecting the truth about themselves but not about you. This exercise, with time, can help you convince yourself once and for all that your worth is a real thing and that the opposite has never been confirmed for real. Now it's time for the campfire story, my lucid dream. Do you know what a lucid dream is, first of all? A lucid dream is a dream where you realize you are dreaming. It's not like it's not like in the middle of the dream you you kind of suspect you might be dreaming, or that within the dream you you think, hey, is this a dream? Um, in kind of like this superficial type of way. No, a lucid dream is when you know for a fact that you are dreaming, and because you realize you're dreaming, you now have in full control over the dream. That's a lucid dream. When this happened to me, I lived in an apartment. And this happened maybe a year before I married my ex-wife, Diana. I was in my apartment. Yeah, that's where I lived at the time. And um, in the dream, the dream starts like this. I'm in a room with a bunch of people in a house that my family really lived in when I was about three years old. So that's the the setting for the dream. And I remember that I was in this room with all these people from my past. So all these people from like back in the uh, mid late 70s and early 80s, they were all in this house that I had grown up in. And we were having some kind of get-together or something. We were all in there talking, people sitting on the couches and the chairs. And there was food being served in the other room, in the kitchen. Paper plates, all that. And uh, and I, I was observing them, interacting with them and everything I got. And as we were all talking, um, I, I heard the sound of a lawnmower. You know, the sound of a lawnmower. At first, I ignored it. And I was, this is before I realized I was in a dream. And so I'm just interacting with these people. That's in the background. And it's getting louder and louder. It gets so loud that in the dream, I stop and I'm looking around and I realize nobody else in the room seems to be irritated by this sound. So in the dream, I said to the the characters in the dream, I said, you guys hear that? Who is mowing out there? And they said, well, we don't hear anything. I said, you got to be kidding me. That is so loud. I mean, it sounded like it was right there next to me. So still, I don't realize I'm in a dream. 
I walk out the front door of this house. By the way, my brain had recreated this house from when I was three. Like down to the last detail. It was incredible. Haven't seen that house since I was probably three or four. And it created it down to the last detail. So I leave everybody there. And I walk out the front door. I was not three or four, by the way, in the dream. I was my own grown self. Um, You know, whatever age I was at the time I had the dream. So I walk out the front door, walk down the front steps. I expected when I walked out the front door to see somebody out there mowing, and there was nobody. So I walked down the front steps, down to the end of the sidewalk, and I looked down one end of the block. Nobody. All the yards are empty. I looked down the other side. Nobody. All the yards are empty. And yet that the sound of the lawn, lawnmower is still going on it's loud now it's like it's right there but I can't find the source of the sound of the lawnmower so I walked around all the way around this house in my dream trying to find this lawnmower couldn't find it got around back to the front and I'm standing there listen to this lawnmower and that is when the the dream turned from being just a normal dream to being a lucid dream because in that instant I realized this isn't real all of my surroundings right now where I'm at is not real and it all the memory of where I was for real come back to me I remembered that I had sat down on my couch in my apartment to do some drawing. I had my clipboard on my lap. I had sat down. I was drawing. I stuck my pencil in my front uh, shirt pocket and I had leaned my head down on my hand, like on the palm of my hand, to think about what I was going to draw next. And that was the last thing I remembered. And now here I am in this world on this bright blue day in this dream world and I realize that in real life I'm sitting in my apartment I'm I'm sitting in my apartment on my couch uh, with that clipboard on my chest and and I'm leaned down on one hand my head down on one hand like cupping my head and I've fallen asleep there I knew without without a doubt that that is where my real body was in the real world. And I didn't wake up. You would think that when once I realized that, I would have just woke up, but I didn't. And I stood there looking around at this dream world, knowing exactly where I was in real life and that this was all a dream. <laughs> it was It was trippy, man. I mean, it was... Uh, it was wild it was a wild realization so when I realized this I turned around and I looked at this house and I realized my god the last time I saw this house I was like three years old and I'm looking at the details of the house that my brain has created it's totally recreated this house and just the details of it Everything, cracks in the driveway, the cracks in the sidewalk, um, everything like that. It was all there. 
and I was just astonished and I walked back up the steps and I'm like I can even remember holding the 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 side rail you know of the steps feeling it in my hand and knowing it's not even real it's not there but I'm looking at it I'm feeling it I can feel it in my hand and at the same time I can hear the guy mowing grass right outside uh, my apartment that's what I realized by the way that was the whole giveaway thing I realized that the landscaper is right outside my window that my body is sitting on my couch and that right outside my window that the landscaper is mowing grass right outside my window there but I'm still asleep so I walk up into this house I walk into the house where I was just with these people you know for this party or this get together and I walk in there looking at them just in this haze of amazement and I'm paying attention to how I haven't seen some of these people in 20, 30 years and yet my brain has recreated them exactly the way they they were their voices sound I mean exactly the way they were They uh, their mannerisms exactly the way they really were the hairs on their head I remember looking at the hair on their head and just there were individual strands it was not like you know uh, some kind of blurry video game or anything like that now my brain had recreated every detail and I walked in there and finally somebody says you look like you saw ghosts what's going on and I said you none of you really none of you can hear that lawnmower out there <clears throat> none of them could and I uh, you know now I'm realizing the whole thing the, everything these people are not real people none of this is real and <clears throat> they're talking to me and finally I just I just told them none of you are real and I'm looking at them like I know this for a fact right so I'm no longer working with the assumption that these are real people or that I'm worried about offending them or anything like that I, I know they're not real but they're still the characters in the dream are still acting out their part and um, when I said uh, you know none of you are real they start kind of like laughing kind of nervously and no we're real we're as real as you uh, no, no, none of you are real. And uh, so I said, watch this. I, I'll make, uh, I don't remember who it was, but somebody was standing there with a, um, like a, a coffee, um, like a teacup and a, and a tea pl- plate. What do you call that? You know, the, the little delicate plate you set your teacup on. I think it was coffee though, instead of tea. And I said, watch this. I'll, I'll make her. Uh, spill her tea and I just willed it and and she did (laughs) she spilled her tea and everybody looked at me like I mean I didn't reach out to her and grab her to touch her or anything like that I just willed it within myself I just willed for that to happen and it did happen and then everybody had this kind of terrified look on their face like oh my gosh are we not really real (laughs) and then um I remember I looked at this other guy. He's sitting on the couch, and I just willed him to pee his pants, for real. And 
instantly this big wet spot appeared on his pants and on the couch and when that happened um, everybody in the room it, the room got dead quiet and the characters in the dream were were like holy crap it, this is for real we're, we're only in a dream <laughs> that was so weird um, so then what I did was I turned around knowing that these people weren't real I didn't I didn't feel like I had to you know play the the thing out anymore or you know worry about hurting anybody's feelings or anything because they weren't real I walked out walked down those steps again and there was traffic coming down the street you know I didn't do it like a superhero I didn't stretch out my hand do anything dramatic like that I just willed the traffic to stop and the stream of traffic just froze just froze in place I didn't have to do anything I just had to will it and the cars froze the stream of traffic just instantly it wasn't like they screeched to a halt or anything like that they just stopped and I walked I weaved myself through these cars and as I did I looked at the cars and the people in the cars I had not froze the people in the cars I just froze the cars themselves so the people inside the cars were looking at me I mean I could see the people in there but I was looking at the details of these cars and they were all from like the 70s and I mean I could see the chrome I could see the paint job I could see the lines in the the cars and I it was just incredible what my brain had created got onto the other side of the street and then I just willed the traffic to resume and it did it wasn't like they mm, started off real hard or anything like that again it's just like they continued right where they left off they just kept going when I got across the other uh, side of the street there was a field there with some trees and stuff and I was looking around at this dream world at the sky I was looking at the clouds I was looking at the trees you know the the leaves on the trees were kind of like fluttering with the breeze and I could feel the breeze in the dream and I just thought this is unbelievable Unbe nobody's ever going to believe this but I'm looking at the leaves and they've got the the lines in the leaves the veins you know that every detail and they're just kind of fluttering with the breeze and I can feel it on my skin and there were some birds flying through when I come close to this one tree uh, it kind of spooked the birds and the birds kind of flew out of the tree and instantly I willed the birds to, to freeze I, I willed them to stop they froze in midair now that is not the craziest part of this they froze in midair so that I was able to walk under them and around them and examine them while they're frozen in midair in my dream the wildest part about it is that again these are not like Atari birds <laughs> these birds were full detail I, I, was ex I was looking at them in the dream I was examining their wings the the individual you know the feathers on the birds the individual strands of these feathers every detail was in there I'm telling you their eyes their beak the, the, the variations of color and everything was on these birds but the most impressive thing about that for me and I've probably today still of the whole thing is that the, the detail 
in the feathers of these birds that I had froze into place and that I was stood there and examined because I was in amazement. You know, I know this is a dream. I know that none of this is real. And yet there it is, this bird frozen in midair. And every detail in the feathers is there, even imperfections and stuff like that. My brain had created it all. And then, after I'd examined this bird thoroughly and looked around and just like in total amazement, the whole thing was just total amazement. Um, I willed the birds to continue flying, and they just they just kept on like they had never stopped at all. They just their flight just continued right from where they had left off. Now, I played around with this knowing that I was in a lucid dream I played around with this with probably seemed like a half hour to me I reckon in in the dream uh, if you saw the movie Inception um, lucid dreams are true to that like time passes differently so where I have might have passed spent like a half hour in the dream uh, probably only five minutes or so went by in the real world and I remember at one point where I got tired of kind of like experimenting with all these, the, the power that I had within this lucid dream, um, I realized it can't go on forever. And I realized that the last thing I wanted to do with this power in this lucid dream was to wake myself up. And I knew, I'm telling you, I knew. I knew exactly where I was in the real world. I knew I was sitting on that couch with my legs kicked up on the coffee table with my left hand out, resting my head on my left hand, and that's the way I was sleeping. And I knew that the guy was right outside my window, the, the, the landscaper was right outside my window mowing the grass. And so once I had had my fill, of just and it was not easy by the way <laughs> deciding to end it because even in the dream I knew this is probably never going to happen again this is probably a once in a lifetime type of experience this lucid dream but there's only so much you can do with it and before before it just you know kind of where the the uniqueness and the the amazement of it starts to wear off and um, so what I did was alright I remember standing there I've done everything I want to do here the last thing is that I'm gonna will myself to wake up and I know exactly where I'm gonna be and everything but that this would just be the way to wrap this up I willed myself awake and it in the dream I stood there and it was I don't know what it was, it was just kinda of like me standing there and okay this is it and I willed it in the real world my eyes popped open I was sitting on that couch in my apartment legs kicked up on that coffee table exactly the way I, I knew I would be hand resting in my or head rested in my hand and I lifted my head and looked out the window and there was that landscaper cutting grass right outside my window in the real world Man, I'm telling you what, that, <laughs> I tell people that story, 
nowadays. I, I forgot. I haven't told that story for a while, but people have a tendency to to think I'm exaggerating that or making some of that up. I'm telling you, everything I just told you is 100% true. Uh, and I've never had anything. I've never had any dreams that come anywhere close to anything like that since then. So that would have been back in, gosh, 2000, 2001, 2002, something like that, when I had that dream. But that's that's a true story. That's the way it really happened. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you're having a wonderful week. Thank you for uh, hanging out with me here for a little bit. And um, join us over there on Locals, thelastsymptom.locals.com. L-O-C-A-L-S is the, is the website. Thelastsymptom.locals, L-O-C-A-L-S.com. That's where the last symptom uh, online community is these days, not on Facebook. And We've got a real nice group there. We would love to have you join us. Do something nice for yourselves this weekend, ladies and gentlemen, and I'll talk to you real soon.